What is up, everybody? Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I'm your host, Chelsea Reif, and this podcast covers lifestyle, travel, mindset manifestation, spirituality, and entrepreneurship. I am so fucking fired up about today's episode. It is all about the illusion of perfection. This episode is prompted by so many client calls I have, so many DMs that I get, and it also shows up shows up a lot in my personal life. And I realized wait a second, I need to do a podcast episode about this. So I just brain dumped all my thoughts into a document and I can't wait to go over all of them because, wow, I mean, there's a lot I have to say about this. I also have a lot of practical steps to move through this illusion of perfection. And I also have a lot of definitions to share because I think we always use words in the wrong context, as well as some things that you might find surprising about my own business and my own launches. So before we dive into this very juicy episode, I wanted to remind you all that for the month of June, anybody that leaves a review, I'm entering into a giveaway to win a one-on-one Oracle card reading. Now, I don't offer these publicly at all. I don't do one-on-one one-off calls anymore. So if you are interested in getting an Oracle card reading, this is the only way to do this right now. So just take a screenshot of your review and then send it to info at chelsearife.com and I will submit you into the giveaway to win this Oracle card reading. Also, I have one-on-one coaching for podcast coaching. That's open because I love podcasting, as you can tell, and I love, 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 love helping women amplify their voices and their message. And I think podcasting is one of the most underrated ways to not only build a business, but to connect with your community. I did a poll this week earlier on my Instagram to see how clients found me or what was the thing that drew them to me. And every single person voted on my podcast. And I think it's pretty obvious, but podcasting is a place where you're uncensored. You can not, you don't have to filter your thoughts. You can really focus on what you want to say and not have to limit it to a character count or a 15 second video or get creative and do a bunch of, you know, transitions and fonts and texts and colors. It's just you and the microphone. And I think the simplicity of it often gets overlooked where when you're just talking into a microphone and sharing your deepest thoughts, feelings, transmissions, downloads, whatever you want to call it, that resonates so much with people. They can feel it in your voice. They can feel your energy. And that's why I love doing it every week. I feel like my Instagram is probably like 60% of who I am. And I feel like the podcast, you get the whole thing. I tell you guys so much stuff on this podcast that I don't even talk about on my Instagram because I truly feel limited on Instagram where I'm like, is this going to get censored? Is the video going to get pulled down? Am I too lazy to type up the caption? Like, I don't really want to do this right now where I feel like podcasting, I truly get to let it all out. And not only has it built such an amazing community, but like I said, it's how all my clients have found me. So if you're thinking, oh, I can't make money from podcasting unless I have a sponsor, I'm here to challenge you. You absolutely can. If you think of podcasting as a marketing channel, it is one of the best marketing channels I've ever used. And it's honestly just fun. I have way more fun on this podcast sharing my unfiltered thoughts than I do trying to come up with a beautiful caption and picture and things that make sense and in the character count and matches this and that and the other thing. It's just exhausting sometimes. And I truly find I find my voice and my footing better when I'm speaking. So if you're feeling like you're the same as me and you really want to start using your voice to connect with more people, I would highly encourage you to think about podcasting and I would be honored to guide you through that. So podcast coaching is for if you want to launch a podcast or if you have one and you just want to refine it. 
and I will take you through everything, not just the tech and the setups and getting it on Spotify and Apple iTunes, but the format, how often you want to record, how to record, how to interview, how to pitch guests, how to set everything up, and really getting into the storytelling piece. Now, obviously, from my mindset coaching, mindset is a piece of this too. A lot of my clients get started and they're like, oh, I don't like the sound of my voice or I don't think anyone's going to come on. And so we work on the mindset part as well. So if you're interested in the mindset piece and launching a podcast or again, refining it, my one-on-one coaching is open and I'm taking three more spots for that. Once that enrollment is closed, then I'll be enrolling again in late fall. I am planning to take a long vacation in August. So when I get back from that and settle back down in probably late September, early October, I'll open enrollment again. So I would definitely encourage you to get in now before I shut off for the rest of the summer and just focus on my current clients. All right. Well, that's all I have for business. And I really am just so fired up. I'm ready to get into today's topic, which is the illusion of perfection. So let's just talk about what the word perfection even means. I think that's something, again, that people get wrong. I personally believe that it's just giving something your best and making it as good as possible. Now, if you actually go and search what perfectionism means or perfection, it pretty much says the same thing. It says trying to make it your absolute best, having all the required or desirable elements, qualities, or characteristics, or as good as it can possibly be. So once you start to really look at the definition of words, I find it so empowering because it's like, wow, I am actually doing the best I can possibly do. I am trying to make things as good as they possibly can be. I don't want things to be free from faults because then I can't learn. And we're going to talk about this in in a second around failure tolerance and really giving yourself room for error. But I said this earlier, and I think it's worth noting again that I keep hearing this conversation over and over again, where people are really, really scared of things not being perfect, or they're idolizing people that they think are perfect, they're comparing themselves, and again, this causes them to not take action, and it really prevents them from expressing their fullest desires and really starting to put out their voice and message into the world. Now, I was looking up some things around perfectionism because I always hear that word too, right? Like I'm a perfectionist and people tend to use that as a positive thing of like, oh, I'm just like, I have a really high standard for myself. I'm a perfectionist. But the issue with that is that when people are perfectionists, they think they can only be happy when they achieve perfection. But because in my eyes, perfection is an illusion, then they're never happy. This means they're constantly worried about failing to meet their own standards, which are literally impossible. And stuff like this is what truly leads people to disease, right? We know that stress is the root of so many diseases. So if you're constantly stressed about hitting your impossible standards and you're living in that state of what I call chasing a ghost, it's like you chase a ghost and you get there and it's gone and it's moved to another area and you can't touch it or grab it, you are always on a hamster wheel. We have seen this time and time again, people living on the hamster wheel, developing serious health problems like depression, anxiety, extreme sadness, isolation. And this is truly what I feel like most of my clients and most of the the circles I deal with with entrepreneurs, this is what comes up a lot. They are constantly setting these impossible standards and because it's an illusion, they never hit it. So I would start to challenge you to think of perfection as not a real concept. Start using the definition of giving it my best or giving it my all versus it has to be completely free of faults. That is impossible. 
And I truly want you to take a take a moment right now. If you need to pause this podcast right after I tell you this, you can. And I want you to think of anything that you've bought or invested in. And now I want you to think of whatever that was, whether it was a product, a course, a designer, anything. Do you think that that thing was free from faults? Okay, like truly think about that. So I was thinking about this recently and I was like, okay, I'm really into money courses right now and learning about finance. So I'm thinking of this one money membership I'm in. I'm so inspired by the girl that runs it. And I was thinking about this and I'm like, well, actually the the platform that it's on and the way you access information isn't perfect. There are a lot of faults. Sometimes they send out the wrong Zoom links. Sometimes they move around the schedule. Sometimes people don't like the branding, right? So it's like, when you think about it this way, perfection is subjective. Someone might think an influencer or a celebrity is perfect. Someone else might say, "Mm, I don't agree with that or I actually hate that person. Someone's launch plan may look absolutely perfect. And then someone else would be like, "Ah, I would have never done it that way. Someone could cook the perfect meal and you're like, this is the best meal I've ever had on earth. And someone else could say, I hate that. I'm allergic to every single thing in that dish. So you can start to see how perfection not only is an illusion, but it's subjective. And the chase to being perfect in my eyes is not only detrimental, it's actually impossible. And I also want you to think about this. If you are thinking of someone that's perfect and you're like, I have no issues with their branding, they don't have any spelling errors, their thing was perfect, it fit me, whatever the case was, right? I'm talking about an array of things right now. Do you have all the context of their life? Yeah, so maybe their branding and products are perfect, but what about their family life or their home life? Are they in a partnership that they're happy in? Are they laughing and having fun? Are they having good sex? Are they connecting with their family? Are they kind? Do they know how to manage their money? So unless you're a private investigator, you truly cannot make a judgment like that because you do not have access to all the information of someone's life. It's the second you put someone on a pedestal and think they're perfect, you actually dehumanize them. So if you follow someone, again, a celebrity, an influencer, I know we all are so inspired by so many people. But the second you say they are untouchable, they're better than me, they have no faults at all, you're dehumanizing them. You're basically saying they're God. No one is above you or below you. When you can really start to understand that, I am telling you it will change your life. I used to work in influencer marketing. I've talked about this before. Every single day, my job was to look at influencers and I would be like, wow, they have the perfect life and oh my God, they just get to fly around the world with their cute family and they have no issues. And then as we've seen, especially in the last year, there's so many things that come out about people, whether it was like their family and they ended up getting a divorce. And so we found out maybe it's not the family we thought or their money. They're horrible at managing their money and gotten themselves into really serious debt or their health, they put so much emphasis on their career that their health went to the wayside. So again, the moment you put people on pedestals, you are automatically dehumanizing them and making them God. If you put people in your world as God, I can tell you right now that is a surefire way to always feel behind and never feel like you're enough. So I would challenge you to start reframing perfect as giving it my all or my absolute best and leave room for error, knowing that error is feedback. As I was doing research on this, because again, I was like, am I the only one that thinks of everything as an experiment? Because obviously not, like I can't be the only one that thinks this. So I started Googling articles around perfectionism and like where this really comes from. 
And there is a really awesome article. I will link it in the show notes that talks about this. And it opens up with this line. It says, the fastest way to succeed is to double your failure rate. In recent years, more and more executives have embraced this point of view, coming to understand what innovators have always known, that failure is a prerequisite to invention. A business cannot develop a breakthrough product or process if it's not willing to encourage risk-taking and learning from subsequent mistakes. Wow. I just want to repeat that first line again. The fastest way to succeed is to double your failure rate. So the issue that my clients, myself, because I've dealt with it and people in my inner circle that deal with this, when we think of failure is that we have to throw in the towel. If we fail, we have to shut down our business. If we fail, we're going to have no money. If we fail, people are going to laugh at us. If we fail, our parents are going to be mad at us. Instead of thinking of it as, wait a second, failure is one of the quickest ways to get feedback. The moment that in quote unquote, I fail, I'm like, okay, let me disassociate from making it about myself. What can I learn? What can I learn from this failure? And I'm going to give you guys really specific examples. So the program I just ran, Spirituality for Messy People, only one person signed up for that. I gave away one spot that was free. And so there were basically two people on the calls. And then I had one call where the other person couldn't make it. So there was only one person on the call. Now, I could have had a pity party and said, oh, my God, no one likes me or my work. I'm so bad at this. I suck. This is embarrassing. But instead, because I have been in a field where I had to develop a very high failure tolerance, and I'm actually talking about multiple fields, my broadcast journalism days, we used to have to show our videos in front of the class and hear feedback from our peers and our teacher. We did this again in my grad school. We did this again in my sales job where people would literally listen to our calls and give us feedback. And looking back, I'm like, I really feel like that developed my failure tolerance and gave me this thicker skin where I don't take that personal. I don't make it mean anything about me. I'm like, what can I learn from this? And this kind of sounds weird, but I almost get excited where I'm like, okay, what, what could I learn? It's almost like an experiment that went wrong. That's how I treat it. What went wrong in this experiment or why did I not get the outcome I wanted? So what I did with this program is I said, okay, well, let me look at the people that signed up and I'm going to look at that as an opportunity to give it my absolute best so that they have an amazing experience. Here's the alternate. If I was like, oh my God, only one person signed up. This is embarrassing. It actually means I don't value that one person in my group. And I'm just thinking of them as a dollar sign. And when you start to see clients as dollar signs and you're going to start just saying, oh my God, I should have had 10 more people or this is so bad. I wish three more people signed up. You're starting to play the wrong game. And I truly think that's where greed kicks in. I think this is why people get greedy because they get obsessed with signups and numbers and tying it all to personal worth versus the experience they are giving the person. I truly think it's rude to discredit the one person who signed up. So if I only have one person sign up, I'm going to give it my all, which again is like my definition of perfection. And I'm going to make sure that that person has the best experience so that I can leave with knowing I gave it my all and I put their best interests at heart and that they'll hopefully give me an exchange, whether that's an amazing testimonial, a review, a referral. And then I like to send out feedback forms and understand what could have worked better and what didn't work. I also did this for the actual enrollment period and marketing. I was like, well, why did only one person sign up? 
Maybe the title was confusing. Maybe people didn't know what messy meant, or maybe spirituality was a topic I didn't give myself enough time to explain. Maybe it was just a topic that people weren't interested in at that time. Maybe I needed to share more of my personal thoughts and allow the enrollment period to be two weeks longer. And this is why I look forward to feedback on feedback forms, because it gives me the opportunity to do better instead of just guess. So I always send out feedback forms and I look forward to it because I'm like, now I have real human input to implement instead of just making up a scenario in my head. And again, the alternate would be like, oh, I think it was the times or maybe it was the money that didn't work or maybe maybe this and that. And that's not solid proof. That's just me making up assumptions and imagining things in my head. When I had an actual human go through the program, now I have solid proof and feedback of what did and didn't work. So now based on that feedback form, I can just tweak it. And guess what? I'm not going to shut down my business because one person signed up for a program. Can you guys imagine that right now? If I hopped on this podcast and I was like, guess what? I only had one person sign up for my course. My business is shutting down. Thank you for all my private clients that have signed up with me. I've been a year in business. I've supported myself full time. I get amazing feedback, but this one course only got one sign up. And so it's time to shut the doors of my business. Like that's insane, right? And think about entrepreneurs. This is the thing that I truly think if you're an entrepreneur, you have to give yourself this almost like 10% room for error. And I'm going to actually tell you the definition of entrepreneur and risk as well. Entrepreneur from the dictionary says a person who attempts to make a profit by starting a company or by operating alone in the business world, especially when it involves taking risks. The definition of risk is a situation involving exposure to danger. A risk is involving exposure to danger. And an entrepreneur is someone who takes risks. So if you're going into entrepreneurship or business with this idea that everything cannot be wrong, there will be no risks, no failure, you are never going to mess up, I am telling you, don't get into entrepreneurship. Straight up, entrepreneurship is not going to be the world for you if you don't expect something to go wrong. That's actually why I love the podcast, How I Built This by Guy Raz, because he interviews entrepreneurs and you hear all the steps they went through where they like hired the wrong person and lost all their money or they messed up something and the whole the the whole app got crashed or you know they marketed to the wrong retailer and someone like there's so many things that come up that it makes me realize oh my god these entrepreneurs are human they're not gods they're not people that have like have a new brain or gene or DNA makeup that like makes them untouchable. They had to go through all these risks as well. The difference is they have high failure tolerance. So they just get up and keep moving. I also want you to think about this. Humans rarely set ourselves up for failure. Rarely do we seek out opportunities that we're bad at because naturally we're a competitive species. So for example, like I'm really good at spelling. I feel really confident. I could enter a spelling bee right now and win. I'm happy to proofread things. It's something that I naturally pick up. Like when I'm reading someone's, I don't know, PDF or digital download, I can catch spelling errors really quick. And there used to be a point where I'm like, should I email this person and tell them there's a few spelling errors? But obviously, no, I'm not going to do that. But something I'm really bad at is like history and geography. So if someone reached out and was like, hey, can you help me with a project on that? I would say no, because I don't feel confident enough in my education or background to be able to properly assist that someone. And so I'm going to avoid situations where I would have to do that. But now let's talk about practice and repetition. 
let's say I wanted to help someone with a project around history and geography, well, then that's when I would immerse myself in learning. I would go educate myself. I would research. I would read. I would travel. I would ask questions. I would study. I would find mentors and groups and communities that could really teach me about these subjects that I don't feel confident in. And then I would develop confidence. And this is the importance of practice and repetition and implementing. And this is why on last week's podcast, I talked about the magic happens when you integrate. It doesn't matter if you go take a million courses on business or a million courses on money or a million courses on spirituality. If you don't take the time to learn and implement, right? You're just fire hosing yourself with more information. And then once you implement, treating it as an experiment, knowing, yeah, I might take two steps back. I might fall on my face. I might mess up something, but I also have the foresight to know that humans also will give me the grace to mess up and get back up on my feet. Going back to like a course creator and they had a spelling error. I'm not going to like stop investing in that person because they had a spelling error or even if it was something bigger than that, right? Even if like a video didn't work in the platform, I'm not going to like badmouth them and be like, wow, they really need to get their shit together. It's like, okay, they're human. Something probably happened that the video didn't upload properly. Let me just email their team and they'll get it figured out. So the way that I give grace to people to make mistakes, I would hope that people give me that same grace as well. And that's why I think I have a high failure tolerance and I've learned to walk myself through all these scenarios. So my biggest fear of failing when I started my business was a few things. It was the first one was like not knowing how to manage money and not knowing what to do with it. And the second one was either having a client want to like cancel their contract or not work with me. So I walked myself through those scenarios. And this is where, again, having some type of like self-check-in practice is really helpful. I actually thought about, okay, what happens if I make a lot of money and I don't know how to handle it? Well, that happened. <laughs> I've talked about that in my money lessons and healing episode. I made a lot of money with my first course launch and I didn't know how to handle it. I basically blew it all, paid off a little bit of debt, and then had no idea where the rest went. And I had to learn, okay, that was an experiment. And now I know how it feels like to make that money. And I don't want to feel like that again. So going back to my point earlier, I started to study and research and read and ask questions and hire mentors and join financial communities. So now we're about 10 months out from that experience. I feel so much more confident. I just had a client pay me in full. And I was like, wow, I remember a client paying me in full and fall and I like flipped the fuck out. I was going through so much nervous system on regulation, but because I have made it a priority to really make finances something that's a part of my life that I feel in control of, when this client paid me in full, I was like, I know exactly what to do with this. I've worked through this before. So again, I practiced, I learned, I researched, and I was able to then come out on the other side and figure it out. So my other thing was uh, being scared that a client would cancel their contract or like want a refund or something. So I walked through that scenario and I'm like, what would really be the worst thing that would happen? If a client said, Chelsea, I'm not enjoying this. I want to cancel. I would pray that I have enough empathy to be like, you know what? I totally understand. If you're not enjoying this experience, let's talk about it first, right? Let's go back to feedback. What is your feedback? What were you expecting more of? What were you expecting less of? You know, give me the opportunity to course correct. I actually ask my clients like in the middle of our contracts how they're feeling because I'm like, I can't do better if I don't know better. So I need your feedback. And so I ask them that 
And now let's say they didn't give me that feedback in the middle of the contract and now we're closer to the end. Well, I would hope that I'm an understanding person that if I were in someone, if I were in that position where I wasn't enjoying my contract with someone, that I could ask them if I could get out of it and they would refund me and move along and be grateful that they worked with me on that specific outcome. Okay, I imagine if I did that, that they wouldn't badmouth me, right? Now let's take it a step further. Let's say I was empathetic to their situation, we worked out something that was an agreement that worked for both of us, and then they badmouthed me, that's now on them, right? I put my best foot forward with working something out, with providing them whatever they needed to be provided with, with allowing them to cut the contract off. Like I did my best, and if someone's going to take a step further and badmouth me, then that speaks more of their character than of mine. So I'm not going to let that affect me. And I think actions and character does speak a lot louder than words. So let's say this person was bad-mouthing me. I would reach out and say, you know, hey, what happened? Like, I thought we ended on a good note here. I provided this and that and the other thing. Can we talk about it? Uh, let's, let's figure out what experience happened. And the more empathetic and open and understanding you are, I cannot imagine that you would attract someone that would bad-mouth you after you work something out with them. So once I walked through all these scenarios in my head, I was like, what failure am I thinking about? Like nothing is that bad. And by the way, I have a lot of self-awareness so I can kind of like feel the energies of my clients and feel if they're straying away or pulling back or really enjoying it. And so I check in with them. Hey, how's it going? Is there anything I can do to support you today? Instead of just making up in my head, oh, I wonder what they think of me and my coaching. And oh, what did they cancel? What did they refund? I don't know. Like, no, I just ask them. And I want to be clear here, though, this came again from my background, from having people give me feedback straight up publicly in front of everybody in my college classes, in my master's, in my corporate American life. So if you don't have that skin, I don't want you to think like, oh my God, I wish I could do this. It's like, I've had years of practice of doing this. I've had to swallow my pride. There are times where I've been embarrassed, you know, when someone would comment on my uh, video back in my broadcast journalism days or uh, when I thought it was an amazing video and they were like, ah, that shot doesn't make sense or the story doesn't make sense. Of course, I had to fight back tears and I was so embarrassed and hurt. And I just learned like, why am I taking it personal? They're not saying I'm a bad person or you're hurting people or you suck or you're greedy or you don't get it or you're dumb. They're just saying this is an opportunity for you to improve. Maybe you could go shoot a better shot. Maybe you could write a better script. And the more I started to realize, okay, feedback is not personal. It's an opportunity to grow. That changed the game for me. So I went into entrepreneurship expecting some things to go wrong. I expected it. I knew maybe I would send out an email that wasn't supposed to be sent to the right person, or maybe a course launch wouldn't go as planned. And I look at all those things as lessons. I personally kind of think it's arrogant to think that you wouldn't fail because in every aspect of life, there's an element of failure that we learn from. In sports, we don't win games all the time. We have a coach to review and improve for our next game. In relationships, we get into arguments and we try to understand what caused it and move forward. In our jobs, we make mistakes and we just move on. With our health, we always don't get it right, right? We always have periods where we eat something that we know won't make us feel good or that we're allergic to or we feel like shit after and we do it anyway. So why all of a sudden when we start businesses or try things on our own, we expect things to go 100% perfect and have no faults? 
I honestly think when you start looking at your business or entrepreneurship as an experiment, you know that there's a a room for error. There's a percentage of error that may happen. And I always just think I'm going to give it my all and think of everything I can and know that I don't have it all figured out and know that this is how entrepreneurship works is taking risks, assessing what worked, assessing what didn't work and move it on and moving on. And when you take it personal, you're always going to feel like shit. If I took every single piece of feedback personal, I would feel like shit every day and I would have stopped my business a long time ago. But the point is I've been so open to feedback and open to hearing clients' perspectives and open to hearing my my coach's perspective and my mentors and my peers. I'm like, okay, thank you. Like this is room for improvement. When you start to understand that people don't expect perfect, they expect effort, your life will change. Like I said, every single course I've taken is not perfect. Every single launch I've seen isn't perfect. Every single store I've been to, nothing's perfect. And I know in my life that everything is perfect. I know I've gotten call times wrong. I probably rambled too much on this podcast. I've had podcasts go out where I like said out loud, oops, I need to edit this out. And then it went live with that with that actual phrase in there. And I had people say like, hey, I think you meant to edit something out. I've had spelling errors and documents, but I don't see that as a reason to stop doing what I'm doing and impacting lives. I can see the effort I put in and my clients and my my community can see that as well. And the outcome that my clients get and the appreciation I get, why would I stop my business over like such silly little things? And that's the thing you learn. It's an unfair standard to to just put on someone that they have to be perfect and they have no room for error because again, that's like godlike. That's unfair to put that on someone else. So why would you turn that standard on yourself? And to be clear, if you're thinking like, oh, okay, so is Chelsea saying like, you don't even have to try? That's not what I'm saying at all. And I don't really think that's the message you're getting, but I know some people need more context and I feel like I love giving context, but I don't mean like, oh, okay, yeah, put things together half-ass and not worry about it and hope that it works out. That's a whole different story. Like, for example, when I was doing yoga classes last summer, when that was in the middle of the pandemic and I was nannying, I didn't have the the space or the opportunity to really make it what I wanted, but I gave it my best effort. I found little palm tree decorations and put them in the back of the wall to try and make it look like more of a yoga studio. I sat down and made custom playlists with meditation music and tested it out with my friends and family before I jumped on. I sent people like a million call reminders because I didn't want anybody to think that I didn't think about reminding them. So I gave it my best. Now, was it perfect? No, right? Like the music messed up sometimes. The palm tree thing like fell in the middle of a class one time. One time I like forgot the sequence I was even teaching, but the point was I gave it my best and again, left room for error. So please don't misunderstand this with, oh, just half-ass things and hope that it works out. No, put your best foot forward and people will read that. I also think as entrepreneurs and business owners, if you're in integrity, you know what you can teach on, right? Like you're not going to go out and teach something that you've never fucking learned about. For example, I was actually going to launch a money course last fall because my launch had done so well the first time around of the course I originally did. But I realized I still held a lot of fear around money. I didn't know how to manage it. I had never tracked my own money. I didn't even know what my business expenses were. I still felt a lot of guilt around spending on myself. So why would I turn around and go teach people about money? That is really out of integrity. And now because I've truly made a commitment to understanding money, I feel much more confident discussing it. 
I've studied it. I've taken the money courses. I've practiced. I've invested in mentors. I've implemented a system. Now I would feel much more in integrity teaching a money course. But again, going back to like this idea of not teaching from a place or insecurity around not knowing what you're talking about. There's an insecurity when you're just putting yourself out there. But if you're out of integrity and trying to teach, that's a different story. And so I would ask you, when you are developing your business or teaching or work with clients one-on-one, are you feeling insecure just because you haven't done it before? Or are you truly insecure insecure because you don't know anything about what you're teaching and you've only learned like 1% of it? That's something that you need to do some self-reflection on. Now, of course, I have practical steps to work through all of this. And I want the first thing for people to understand is what areas in your life have you not been perfect in but still succeeded? You can probably write down every single thing that you've accomplished in your life, right? Like going to school. I didn't get 100% on every single test, but I still succeeded and I graduated. At my work, I literally have gotten on calls where I messed up or I'm talking about my sales job where I like pitched the wrong program or I didn't understand what I was talking about or who I was talking to because I was just so new to the field, but I still succeeded in my job now. I have times where I mess up, where I don't, where I don't deliver what I wanted to, or a course launch doesn't go well or whatever the case is, but I'm still succeeding. And that brings me to the next question is what is your definition of success? I used to think mine was just money, right? Once I hit this amount, I'll be fine. Once I have this debt paid off, I'll be successful. And as I've grown up and really started to get more and more into my business, it's not just monetary. It's evolved and now it includes space in my day quality time with the people I love, taking weekends off, even Friday, investing in things that have nothing to do with my business, like my health, my relationships, my my own well-being that, again, have nothing to do with business. And the more I redefine that definition of success, I was like, oh my God, I am already successful. I don't need to have all my credit card debt paid off to be successful. I don't need to have $100,000 in the bank to be successful because I create my own definition of success. So really, what is your definition of success and what in your life is already contributing to that? The next thing I would ask you to do is give yourself credit by actually laying out the facts and evidence as if you were going into a court of law. So let's use my work as an example. Let's say I was having a week where I was just doubting my abilities, where I was like, wow, I really don't think anyone's going to sign up or I'm not really that great of a coach or God, I don't do I really know what I'm doing? Well, I've done this exercise before where I built my evidence folder and I take screenshots of every DM you all send me. I take screenshots of every single review, every nice email, every voice note, anything you can think of. I screenshot it and I save it in my phone as an evidence folder. So whenever I feel down, I open up this evidence folder and I'm like, Chelsea, are you serious? Like, (laughs) you really think that you aren't qualified or good enough for this job when you have like hundreds of screenshots of people that you've truly helped? And I thought about, okay, if I brought this to a judge and I was like, I'm doubting myself, I'm not a good coach. And then I showed them the evidence that I have. The judge would literally be like, this case is dismissed. This, This doesn't even make sense. So it's like the judge would be like, Chelsea, what are you talking about? Every single file you're showing me shows that you are helping people, that you do know what you're doing, that you're changing people's lives. And so I always have to go back to that. Like, would this hold up in a court of law? And do I have the evidence to back it up? 
And again, this is like a daily practice. I'm not kidding. Every day I <laughs> take screenshots of DMs, of emails, of anything, notes that my clients send me. And I put this in my evidence folder and I always refer back to it. The next thing I would ask you to do is treat things as an experiment versus so black and white. Like it's good or it's bad. I failed or I didn't fail. This is right or it's wrong. Because when you give yourself room for error to grow, you will grow faster and learn it easier. Also, the only way to truly know if something is going to work is by trying, right? You really cannot make up in your head that, oh, I don't think this is going to work. I don't know. How would you know if you don't try? Consider the failures or things that don't go as planned as your golden ticket to improvement because now you have real ways to adjust. Going back to my whole program, Spirituality for Messy People, instead of thinking of that as like, oh my God, it's a total failure. I can't do group courses again. I'm so embarrassed. I need to shut down my coaching practice. No, no, no. I'm like, this is my golden ticket to improvement. Maybe the title was confusing. Maybe the call times weren't clear. Maybe I could have done a better job of explaining the pricing, right? I'm like, what could I learn from this instead of tying it to my worth? And I think one of the best things that you can realize is that people appreciate effort, not perfection. People appreciate effort, not perfection, right? I want you to, again, always go back to who and what you invest in. Do you think that's perfect? Do you think that thing is completely free of faults? No. You probably know there's some faults here and there, but you give room and grace for that thing or that product or that person, that brand to, to correct their mistake, to listen to your feedback, right? Like I'm, I'm thinking of, this is why so many apps have feedback forms or why email providers when you, or anybody, when you go to cancel, they're like, wait a second, can you quickly let us know what went wrong or why you're unsubscribing or send us some feedback because they're like, this is our room to improve. This is our golden ticket to making a better product. Oh, and one last thing that I just thought of is when you get embarrassed about either your sales or how many people signed up or whatever the case is, that's truly a vanity metric, right? Of course it is feedback into your business, but only you know that information. I'm sure none of you knew about how many people signed up for Spirituality for Messy People until I shared that in the podcast, right? People don't really announce how many people sign up for programs unless they choose to announce it. You don't have to announce it, right? It's not like I was required to announce how many people sign up for the program. So when you can start to realize that, do I really need to share that information or can I hold that to myself and learn from it? Remove yourself and your personality and your character as the success metric and look at other things, the branding, the timelines, the price point, the messaging, the clarity, the audience. As soon as you remove yourself, you'll start to realize it's not about me. It's not like I suck and I'm a bad person and I'm stupid and I'm done. No, it's like, again, what, what did I put out there? Maybe the delivery was wrong. Maybe timing was wrong, whatever the case is. But to make myself part of that equation, again, you're never going to feel good enough. You are always going to feel behind. You're never going to feel successful. And you will always be holding on to that illusion of perfection because that's what it is. It's an illusion. So to wrap this up, remember that perfection is subjective, it's an illusion, and nobody, nobody is perfect. We are all doing the absolute best we can with the information that we can, with the knowledge that we can, with the resources that we have, and the more you give yourself that grace, the more you will feel successful. Whew. 
I was clearly fired up about that topic and I can't wait to hear your feedback on this and what you think because this is truly a conversation that I've been wanting to have forever and it finally came to me today of how to structure this and really give insights into my own world and how my businesses run so that you can realize I'm not perfect, the people I invest in aren't perfect, my mentors aren't perfect, my parents aren't perfect, my boyfriend's not perfect, no one's perfect. Again, nobody is perfect. The more we can understand how human we are, the more we'll feel successful and allow ourselves that grace to grow. So I hope you can relate. I'm sure you can. And I'm so glad you made it through listening to this and my very fired up thoughts around perfectionism. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found value, please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe. I know you always hear that from podcasters, but truly like that is the energy exchange for the podcast. We all put so much effort into these podcasts with creating the storylines, creating the narratives, talking about what we talk about every week, editing, putting it out there, marketing it. And so really the reading, reviewing, and subscribing means the world. It helps us with the algorithm. It helps us get features on other guest podcasts. It helps us to book the guests that you want to hear from. So it's more than just, oh, they want to review because it's nice. No, I'm telling you, it means so much more than that. It is like the currency of podcasting. So I would greatly appreciate it. And as a reminder, anybody that submits a review for the month of June is entered into a giveaway to win a private Oracle card reading with me, which I'm so excited about. And I have three spots open for podcast coaching. Of course, I will link all that in the show notes. And I'm going to link that article I talked about, about failure tolerance, because it's super helpful. And I would love to hear your thoughts. Tag me on Instagram, DM me at Chelsea Rife or at non-expert opinion pod. And thank you so much for listening. And I will see you next week. Thank you.